And we all got dreams We all want things But what you gonna do for it? How you gonna move for it? What you gonna be? And do you believe You can do anything But what you gonna do for it? How you gonna move for it? What you gonna be? Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. Remember, if you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, subscribe and leave a five-star review. It always helps boost the podcast. You can follow me on X, Twitter, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it these days. At Eli Herskovich, you can follow The Lines at The Lines US, and you can follow my guest today, Talking College Hoops, Matt Metcalf at Double M Packed former sportsbook director at Circa Sports and still doing some consulting with Circa, but also enjoying life away from behind the counter. So, hey, Matt, how's it going? And how's life away from the sportsbook on a day-to-day basis? It's going good, Eli. Thanks for having me. And life life is pretty good. You know, I'd, I'd obviously been at Circa for about five years and felt like it was time to kind of transition out of that role and leave it up to the, the talented team that we that we have there. Um, helping them, as you said, with some some expansion and some bigger picture stuff, uh, but kind of trying to take it easy and and kind of you know immerse myself into the what was the college football season and now what's becoming the college basketball season. So trying uh, not to get not to get too involved, but it's hard to step totally out of the picture. Um, so keeping my ratings up and trying to make some bets here and there where it makes sense. Have you stayed away from Twitter X, specifically Jeff Benson's tweets? <laughs> you cannot stay away from Jeff Benson's tweets. They will find you. You don't even have to have Twitter. <laughs> Jeff Benson's tweets, just they just have a way of making their way into your life. Um, I've, I've definitely cut my Twitter time, but I'm still there. I, I usually go on for, for a little while in the morning and then try to wrap, wrap up at night. I, kinda, I get all my news from there, too. So in between the Jeff Benson tweets, I'm trying to understand what's happening in the world. <laughs> I love it. And now we dive into what people care about, not that people don't care about Jeff's tweets. <laughs> He's listening. I always stay tuned with them as well. But I want to ask for the novice sports better and specifically with college basketball. Is there one differentiating concept that goes into your college basketball power ratings that, again, differs from maybe the norm or the average college basketball power rating? I mean, maybe only an odds maker or a bookmaker's feel. Um, I think when you're when you're booking games, as long as I booked and, and been on the house side, I think you start to get a better sense of what a number is that you would hang. And I think that, you know, you get a good sense of what kind of number is going to draw two-way action and where you should be positioned. And I think as a handicapper, somebody who's betting, you know, you're, you're kind of making betting type numbers. So they're a little more opinionated. So I think when you have that kind of, you know, the ability to kind of put yourself in the bookmaker's bookmaker's head and think, okay, I made this number 11, but I understand why it's seven because you know, normally we're going to see play from, you know, this group on underdogs in this spot. I, I don't know. It just gives you a more complete picture of the market. So I think my ability kind of to understand why numbers are in a certain place from a bookmaker standpoint maybe has helped keep me off of certain certain bets and stop me from going to a war with certain opinions that I've had as a better. Um, but it works both ways. I think a bookmaker who can put themselves in the better shoes and be a little more opinionated can make more money for the house also. So. Yeah, and you did that, obviously, with Circa, no question about it. And as we dig into some of your power ratings, you texted me this last night. You had Arizona power rated, number one, I believe, from the get-go, Purdue right behind them. And Arizona's transition defense, their upgrade in that category, a big reason why their defensive efficiency 
has risen in that department. Offense has not been the problem for Tommy Lloyd and his three seasons in Tucson. So do you have a future on the Wildcats, a future on Purdue or any of those upper echelon teams in your power ratings? Well, it's funny. I think I actually started Duke as the top rated team and I kind of knew doing that. I knew that they probably wouldn't be because I just liked their talent level when I was reading, you know, preseason. Um, but quickly after Arizona went on the road and, and, and beat Duke, um, I moved Arizona to a number that placed them number one, and I, I really haven't backed off that. Um, the only team that's kind of sat there right with them are, say, two teams. Houston and Purdue have been right neck and neck with them. And my, my gut is that if the betting line came out tomorrow, you know, I think, I think Purdue would probably be a pick them with Arizona, like even though my numbers say Arizona small fave. And, and Houston's the one I really don't know yet. I don't really feel like Houston's played anybody that I can really solidify that number and believe in it. But um, you know, they've been right there for three years now. We're always at the top of my rankings right in the beginning of the year. So yeah, I put, I put a few, a few small bets in on those, on those teams up top that I mentioned. I think I got Arizona at, um, trying to think, I think I played them at 20 to one, which is really market. I, I bet that as soon as they beat Duke. And, um, I think I played Houston kind of off market at 28 to one at, at William Hill or Caesars, whatever they're calling it. Um, and that was kind of probably earliest in the season. And then I played Purdue, I think at 18 to one, um, right when I saw because I Purdue played to a really high number last year I think in the beginning and then again near the end they kind of had a mid-season swoon I think where they didn't play to as high a number but I don't know I, I just I, I always feel like I end up betting Purdue at the best number I can early in the season and this year is hopefully the year that I actually can make some money off that bet so yeah listen man you're the last person I'm gonna root against I know people mm-hmm. like to root against the house you're not a part of the house anymore I would be mm-hmm. rooting against you anyways but I always root against Purdue. I root. I against- do too. I hate them. Okay. Okay. So I'm glad to no, hear that. No, no. Even that. when I bet them, I, I could have I could have any amount of money on them, and I'll root against them because I just inherently hate them. And I hated them when Gene Katie was the coach, and I hate Matt Painter, even though I hear that he's the greatest coach ever, ever, you know, ever to suit up in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm overestimating there. So people like him more than I do, but um, I just think they're chokers. I think they consistently lose games they shouldn't lose. I think they're a rotten favorite. I think they're a good dog when they play, you know, when they're catching points, when they actually do catch points. But um, I've had tickets in the past. I remember when I first started doing this years back and I bet Purdue at like 80 to one. And I'm like, they're like the third power rated team in my ratings. And then, you know, they get to March and, you know, maybe they're like 20 to one and then they just lose out. And I'm like, all right, this is why this team is always higher odds. than I think they should be because they cannot win. They've elevated the program during the regular season. But I mean, I I would be in, I, I don't know. I'd be in shock if this ticket is, live come come the final four it just i I have no faith in them (laughs) i like it i will i don't know what i'll do if purdue pulls a virginia going back to 2019 losing in the first round purdue obviously doing that (laughs) i don't don't think that's the year it's hard to lose a first round game with with zach edie that's just that's hard to do (laughs) that's a good point i will say braden smith has taken a big leap edie still number one and the favorite to repeat as the wooden award winner he did that last season Braden Smith, though, and his physicality and his playmaking 14th rated or 14th highest assist rate in college basketball, the addition of Lance Jones from SIU, you think about three-point efficiency and their ability to space the floor around Edie. The other thing, too, not that I don't like the Purdue bet. I do have them rated higher than I did last season just because I like the guard play a little bit more. We'll see. Once they face pressure in the dance on a neutral court, although they did play well in Maui. But to that point, we see teams with continuity typically 
perform to the betting market's expectation. Like Purdue mm-hmm. easily could have covered. I know Marquette kind of backdoored against Purdue in the final minutes of that game, covering by the hook. I think the spread closed around three and a half, but that's what was most impressive to me about Arizona's win at Cameron. Now I have some points about Duke that we'll get to once we hit on Duke, Arkansas and kind of touch on home court advantage in college basketball and the information you could lend to the listener map. But Arizona brought in some new pieces like Caleb Love from North Carolina. Maybe he had a little bit of revenge to take on or take out against Duke in that game to begin the season in the first week. But you add a guy like Keisha Johnson too, and Boswell stepping into a bigger role as the starting point guard of this team. So those are kind of the traits that I look for in a team. Can we talk about the number one reason why I like Arizona more this year? Because they lost Kirk Creaso. That's my exactly. I'm, I couldn't. I couldn't be more ecstatic when I read that he was transferring. I was just like, "Oh wow, this team's going to be much better." I, I I could not stand that guy. I just thought he was such a liability in terms of just you know putting up dumb shots. When uh, gosh, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting riled up just thinking about it right now. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy to say maybe. Most would have thought that Love would be an upgrade over Creasa, but Love's shot selection at North oh, Carolina, yeah. his efficiency was not good in the slightest. I know a couple right, of years ago, right. yeah, he shot above, I think, around 35% from three on their Final Four run. Last year, the efficiency, I believe, from behind the arc was below 30%. But in Tommy Lloyd's offense, we've seen that efficiency mm-hmm. start to creep back up. So I'm with you. And that was a big reason why I was considerably impressed with the Wildcats performance at Cameron was because you typically don't see guys with a bunch of new faces, at least in critical roles, albeit Arizona having a very experienced coach going back to his days at Gonzaga in Tommy Lloyd under Mark Few. You do see those teams typically perform better, but still you're trying to intertwine new faces. And that's why kind of betting the futures market at the beginning of the season can be a little bit more difficult, especially in today's age of the transfer portal. But it was definitely an impressive win as a five and a half point dog. They outperformed the betting market. Well, the, th- the thing I like about the thing I like about Zona too is it, it seems like they have an easier go of it twelve this year. I mean, UCLA is is just that, you know, they're a notch below where they've been the past couple of years. And I think, you know, Arizona got in these battles to, to kind of win the conference and be the best team. And I think they're just, I don't know, they just feel like they're, they're much the best this year. And I, I don't know, I don't, maybe they won't have to exert as much energy in the regular season kind of to get their seating and to, to kind of be where they, where they should be. Yeah. UCLA lost a lot without Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez, among other pieces. Jalen Clark, one of the best defensive guards in college basketball. They really missed him. In the dance, USC, I had a little bit higher in my ratings to begin the season, even though their lone loss on the year, or one of their two losses came without a couple of key guards, Isaiah Collier not mm-hmm. being one of them. They're getting back Bronny James. I don't know how much that really does for them besides just the namesake. I don't know how well Probably he's going to play. Much. Right. I'm not sure either though. Have you watched yeah. the Mick Cronin, the Mick Cronin pressers where he's just been relentlessly kind of ripping into his team in terms of them being selfish and them not knowing how to play with humility? I mean, it's really entertaining. He'll just go off on his team every night for about 10 minutes and say how they're just not mature. They have no sense of humility. They just all are playing hero ball. Like it's, it's fun to watch. I, I love Mick Cronin and I love UCLA and, and just watching him throw his team under the bus is, is pretty fun. Yeah, I'm with you. I get it animated on the sidelines on top of it during that Marquette game. But that's the thing. They outperformed the market's expectations against Marquette as six and a half point dogs. It covered against Gonzaga. Uh, That game was pretty tight to begin the second half. 
back and forth, two possession kind of game. So I honestly have been more impressed. Yeah. Marquette is a team that I just can never nail in my ratings. They, They seem to kind of play to the competition. I'll think I have them kind of pegged. And, you know, I think I probably had them to the point where I thought Zona was probably, I don't know, maybe like six points better than them kind of going into that tournament. And not not that they were playing each other, just as a reference in my numbers. Um, and then you see Marquette just continually step up when they play legit competition. And they always end up playing like three points better than I thought their number is. So I've, I've kind of learned that. I learned it last year a little. But I, I can never I can never be guilty of underestimating Marquette because they're, they're going to show up to play whenever they take on top teams. And just for a reference point here, we've touched on teams like Purdue. The best number you can get on them is... Around 20 to 1, that's kind of a rogue number, pretty much priced at around 10 to 1. One of the favorites, that's, Kansas. That's very, that's very rogue. Tell me where that number is so I can go better. You may not be able to get much down, to be fair, but it is it is available at one shop. And a team okay. like Arizona. I got to go find that. <laughs> After the podcast, Arizona around 20 to 1. Houston, a team that I. I'm with you around 28 to one that you add an offensive piece, an efficient shooter like LJ Cryer from Baylor and their number has dropped considerably, at least from what we saw at the beginning of the off season now around 15 to one, 16 to one. So they're, they're, among they're the really not playing. They're really playing to about the same number they did last year. Granted, you know, once they get into the big 12 play, you know, it's going to be different. And I, 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 I kind of have a sense that their number is a little false. Like I said, I think, I think they're a notch below probably the top teams like Arizona and Purdue, but but right now playing weaker competition, they're playing to a, to a high number. And to your point too, Marquette has outperformed expectations when you mm-hmm. consider the fact that they were 40 to one. And I know some of these bigger numbers that aren't necessarily available at every single book can get slashed pretty quickly, at least on the last night of the college basketball season, going back to last year, I think there were some Marquette 40 to ones available. Now they're sitting probably where they should be priced or right around it at around Mm -hmm. 18 or 20 to one, but they lost one of their better defenders, especially considering how much Shaka smart defenses rely on ball pressure losing Omax. I think he allowed in isolation around a 26% field goal percentage defensively this year, 14th in Kempom and adjusted defensive efficiency. I've been impressed from what I've seen, especially because in that Purdue game in the Maui championship, the refs kind of took control in that first half. And then you mm-hmm. go back to the Purdue Tennessee game where there were, I think around a combined 70 foul shots. So I don't know how much we could really take away from some of these games, even though Tennessee necessarily hasn't looked the part losing three straight games to Purdue, Kansas and North Carolina on Wednesday night. But home spots is the next place I want to take this map because A, let's start off with just situational spots in general. I'm really curious to get your perspective on this as a former bookmaker because there is so much split on this perception of situational spots in college basketball. You either go straight to your numbers and say, okay, how is this team rated or that big of a favorite over X team, even though they have home court? Or there are batters that really take into consideration situational spots. And we'll get to some of the examples on Wednesday and some of the upcoming examples in a bit. But in general, how do you take a look at situational spots and do you value them at all? Yeah, I think they're definitely valued and they're in the line and they, they bet them that way. But I, I think the one thing as a bookmaker is you just don't have the time, especially if you're an odds bank and you're setting your own numbers. Um, you just don't have the time always to catch all the spots. And so, you know, I'll go through. I'll do all my numbers, I'll make my standard adjustments for home, home field or, or home court, whatever. 
Um, and then, then if I had the chance, I'm going to go back through and comb for injuries. If I had the chance, I'm going to try to pick out all the, all the situational spots, but I don't always have that luxury of time. And so, you know, to me, the lower limits, you know, when I'm booking and, and, you know, a lot of times I'm going to let the betters point out the spots to me. And, you know, the betters are the ones that have the time to really always do more injury work than we do always really not miss a spot. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to miss a spot here and there. Like the obvious ones when teams are coming back, like I think I spoke to you a little earlier about, you know, when a team's coming back from Maui, like Syracuse the other night, um, you know, they're traveling back from Maui. They're playing LSU, which should be a tough game. I think my numbers had that game like four for Syracuse. And I think the number closed Syracuse minus one. And obviously to me, I'm looking at that. I'm going, okay, my numbers are usually pretty close. So they probably baked in two and a half, three points here saying that, you know, Syracuse is just going to be tired of coming back from there. And then Syracuse goes and wins by 30 points. You're just like, all right, guess it didn't mean anything. So obviously <laughs> it does mean something in a lot of these spots. The, the professional bettors, the wise guys, they're, they're good at knowing when the spot matters and they're going to bet the right ones. And they usually know when to leave them alone and when to bet them. And, you know, if you follow their lead, you're going to do okay. If you see something, you know, after the market's been open for eight, 10 hours, and they are not betting a certain spot, then it's probably they don't think it's that important. So I tend to take most of my cues from the market as a bookmaker. But as a better, you know, you have to get in there and really do your work and, and kind of find these things. And if you're, you know, if you're sharp, a lot of times people will not see what you're seeing. And, and in the beginning, you might question yourself and be like, all right, I'm wrong because nobody else is betting it that way. But th there's plenty of examples of where, you know, sometimes where I've seen something or I've, I've caught something where I've picked up an edge on something for, you know, a short amount of time until it kind of caught on and more people saw it. So I don't think there's as many originators in the market as people think. And I think the opinions are, are, you know, they're a lot, they're a lot fewer and far between than people understand in terms of like people having opinions. So if you've got something and you think you found something and it makes sense and you run it by a couple of people and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you bet it, you know, eventually the edge will be gone. But I, I think it's real realistic to think that you could, you could have found something that nobody else is kind of thinking about. Yeah. It's a great point. And just kind of using the example that I was thinking of from Wednesday night, first off, a bunch mm -hmm. of home teams wound up covering whether they were favored or home dogs, but the dog that won outright in a big way was Arkansas unranked coming off of their own little holiday trip, losing two of three games coming back against Stanford, but then losing on Sunday, I believe to North Carolina and Tremont Mark dealing with what was thought to be a serious back injury, the Houston transfer, he ended up not playing. I don't think it's as serious as some initially thought, but then you look at the spread and there was betting thought out there on Twitter X again, whatever platform you want to call it saying, okay, how is Duke only a four and a half point favorite well, at Arkansas? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I'll give you an example of that game. So that game opened seven, I think on the overnight, I think I was going to the lines and it was like six and a half, seven out there. And I texted a buddy of mine who's a, who's a bookmaker also. And I was like, what am I missing on this game? Why is, why is Duke laying seven at Arkansas? And cause I think I had it three and I'm like, and I, and I like Duke in my number and I've been like lowering Arkansas every day. And I, and I doubted myself. I kind of was like, okay, maybe I'm missing an injury or maybe I'm missing something. Cause I knew Arkansas dropped some games, but I just couldn't figure out why that spread was that high. And so I didn't make the bet basically doubting myself thinking like I'm missing something. And then I woke up in the morning and it's four and a half. And I'm like, okay, it seems a little closer. But I was thinking the other way. I was like, I was like, how is this number this high? It didn't make any sense to me. And my first thing is when I'm not putting in a ton of work into a sport, I doubt myself because I'm like, you know, there's smarter people out there than me. And I know that I'm not doing like the most amount of work and I'm not reading a ton. I'm not really reading hardly anything. So I, I kind of doubted my number and I didn't end up playing the game. Just, you know, threw it away and, and easy winner for Arkansas. So, yeah. It was 
ultra impressive to watch. And not that I would say it was unsurprising, but just to the point that even when you look at where the line closed around four and a half, I know, like you said, there were some soft openers around seven and those got bet down pretty quickly. College basketball overnights, as you know, from working behind the counter are a beast in their own right. But when you think about what home court advantage is worth in college basketball, like an elite home court edge that we saw last night at Bud Walton, I think the biggest crowd ever for an Arkansas basketball game in Bud Walton history for a crowd like that, for a home court edge like that, typically in my ratings, I'll apply about four, four and a half points. So from a raw number, like when you say, even though it closed four and a half, Duke is an eight, eight and a half point favorite on a neutral against Arkansas. That doesn't sound that crazy to me. So again, kind of going in, not that you were incorrect, but you know, the average better saying, oh my God, like this line is so off. I'm going to hammer Duke. They're going to blitz Arkansas. But then it's also considering the fact that the same problems that Arizona gave Duke at Cameron, Arkansas gave them just as many last night, A, with their size advantage, and they were able to exploit the Blue Devils defense in transition. Duke now allowing 1.28 points per possession in transition. That's in the second percentile across college mm-hmm. basketball. This team is terrible in transition like it was last season. So what would be the best advice you would give to the average college basketball better when it comes to applying home court advantage, I guess? I mean, figure out what it's worth for yourself. Don't trust anybody else's opinion of it. I mean, I think that people like yourself who are very, you know, educated in matchups and know a lot about watching basketball have a huge edge in being able to pick out like matchup spots. You know, it's kind of like watching a boxing match where <clears throat> if you know, if you know, it's just a, you know, one guy is an amazing fighter and the other guy is kind of considered a lower tier fighter, but there's just, there's one punch or something that the other guy can't defend. You know, you have an edge in kind of exploiting a specific matchup. I am way more of a generalist and I'm not in any means right now a serious for like college basketball better. Um, that said, I have to set numbers as an odds maker, a bookmaker for a variety of games. So the way I do home court is very, is very like uniform and, and betters, pro betters would probably be like, oh, that's crazy. But I'm just trying to get close. And so I use a sliding scale on home court and I use a pretty standard number. So like, you know, if I, if I have a team, the same rating, if both, or you know pick them in my ratings and the it's at let's say what do we have the game duke at arkansas like to me um if i know if i know the road team is favored i make a standard like three and a half four point deduction off of the road team rating so you know if duke is an eight point favorite on a neutral or saying it would be an eight point difference my my jumping off point would be four on that game or, or four and a half um when you're dealing with a home favorite i do a little differently so road favorites like i said standard deduction right off the top either three and a half, four points. Um, a home team, it's kind of a sliding scale. So if you had two even teams playing, I would probably make the home team like three and a half. Some people would argue me, like you, you would say Arkansas is a bigger one, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't have time to sit there and analyze every home court, and I don't need to. I have betters telling me when I'm right, when I'm wrong. So <laughs> the thing I would do as we get higher, so let's say I have you know something where it's a raw number and one team is seven points better than the other. I'd probably make a lower adjustment at the home court there, a blanket adjustment, probably like two points, two and a half points. When we get up to about 19 or 20, I'm done with home court. Like I'm using my raw number. So like in those games at the beginning of the year, when you see a team as a 34 point favorite, that is my raw number power rating, no adjusted home court. Um, once you get that high, I don't really know the specifics of it and why it works that way. You know, probably because once you get to a certain number, obviously the road team sucks and it doesn't really matter, you know, where they're playing this game. 
but that's always worked for me. And then, and if you really want to get nuance in your discussion, the neutral courts are about as hard as it gets in terms of trying to apply, you know, because you don't just post the neutral number at a neutral site. Like if you have a team eight points better and they play a neutral site, that number is probably closer to like six, like six and a half. You're going to back out a little. And when you get up in those numbers where it's like 20, like it's probably going to be closer to like 15. Like you're almost using a backward sliding scale to adjust off your neutral court the same way you use a sliding scale to adjust up on your home favorites. Um, so the neutral courts have a ton of nuance. They're super hard for the odds makers and the bookmakers to put a number on. I think they're super hard for betters to bet also. I tend to lean towards dogs on neutral courts. Laying points on neutral courts is very hard to me, especially big points. Laying double digits is like a suicide mission on a neutral court. So I don't know. I probably gave you way more information than you're looking for there, but that's how I kind of approach things. No, man. Everybody is looking for that kind of insight, especially in a market that can move so quickly overnight like college basketball and some of the big games that we're seeing coming up, whether it's this weekend or early next week, you have UConn, the defending national champion at Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, Marquette at Wisconsin. And those early projections, at least when you look at some of the advanced college basketball analytics sites that sometimes open the market or similar lines to open the market, like Marquette at one site is around a one point favorite at Wisconsin. And that's going to cause a lot of people to flinch when they see that line, considering what Marquette did at Maui. But then to your point, maybe Marquette is overvalued in the market. And just back to UConn and Kansas, UConn with 24 straight double digit wins against non-conference opponents. We obviously saw that in the dance. Hunter Dickinson against Donovan Klingon is going to get a lot of the headlines, but then Tristan Newton maybe could neutralize Dewan Harris, especially with how Harris was bothered by Marquette's ball pressure and Tennessee kind of did the same thing to Harris, even though Kansas was able to take advantage down low in the second half. But then kind of to that point, UConn wants to run you off of the three-point line, and Kansas wants to play through Dickinson and play through their mm-hmm. cuts with McCuller and whatnot. Even if you get Castle back, Kansas could probably take advantage of them in the half court. So that game is just fascinating because I think it opened as a soft number at around Kansas minus two, and kind of to the point that we were just touching on with Arkansas and Duke. Is that, a, is that, a, is that a neutral game or that's at Kansas? At Kansas. So what would you say that number gets to or closes at, Matt? I mean, I, I have Kansas like favorite, like, yeah, like a two point favorite. That sounds right. Like I, I was looking at the other game you said, the Marquette Whiskey game. That's an interesting game because as as I sat there and said I don't care about home courts, you know, I do give Wisconsin a little bit of more of an edge on home courts, especially when they're playing teams that aren't from there, but Marquette's from there. So that number seems really uh, really short to me. I'd be surprised if Marquette closes only a one point favorite at Wisconsin. So maybe I'm a square on that one. Um, yeah, I would have had that minimum two, more like two and a half. So yeah, that number surprised me a little. And then looking ahead to early next week, FAU, mm-hmm. and this was a game or a team that we touched on going back to the NCAA tournament. When I did an article featuring you and John Murray, that's still pinned on yeah. Twitter for me. And FAU, I think you had to, I forget how it went back and forth. You lowered them to a certain number just because you weren't taking any Memphis action, I believe, going Mm -hmm. back to that first round game. And FAU, with the exception of those final five minutes, Memphis was in control of Kendrick Davis, didn't get hurt with the ankle injury. So I'm kind of curious what your perception is on a team like that, that maybe gets positive variance and maybe is a little bit overrated by the market because 
FAU playing Illinois on a neutral at the Garden in the Jimmy V Classic, the second of two games on Tuesday. So you take into account, like you said, neutral floor. Maybe you give the dog a little bit more of a slighter edge. And I make this game around a pick, maybe a little bit more towards Illinois. And again, those are raw numbers. We'll see if Coleman Hawkins ends up playing for the Illini or not. He's dealing with, I believe, uh, some variation of an injury. But Illinois has the edge up front against a vulnerable FAU post defense. And this is one of the best defensive teams, at least so far in college basketball. When you look at the collection of defenders under Brad Underwood. So what do you make of FAU A and then this matchup B? What do you make the game? Yeah, I mean, teams like this are a little hard to peg when they're, you know, they're playing in like smaller conferences and they step up against the big boys. I think last year we really struggled with them. I, I was not really a believer. And then, you know, I think by the end of the tournament, I came away, you know, watching them and, and you know, they had the guys, they had the bodies, they had the players. Like they they were, they were a legit, they were a legit team. I, you know, I, obviously they had some positive variants and made a good run, but, but in no way were they, were they under talented. They were a solid team. And so I think this year I came in and I, I was a little, not skeptical, but I was just a little careful with their number. And I, I made sure not to be too low or too high. I think um, they played about to where I've had them so far. I think they're planned about the number they played last year. I think they had, um, I, I'm, I'm surprised a little because I really thought they might regress a little, but it's pretty much the same team back. I, I, I had them favored versus Illinois. I think they're a solid, you know, I, I don't think they're more than a one and a half point favorite probably, but I don't see Illinois being favored based on the numbers, but then again, you're, you're the matchup guy. And I, and I trust, you know, if you think this is a favorable matchup for Illinois, you know, I, I could see, you know, obviously it's a close game, so it should be a good one. I wanted to wrap it up with a future that I bet recently, Matt, and I'm just curious on how you rate this team, because I know we kind of go about futures a little bit differently for me. I'm trying mm-hmm. to, when I do have an edge, on a team that isn't rated nearly as high in the market that I have, at least within my top 20 or maybe even top 10, like Creighton to begin the year, I had top five. I found a rogue 40 to one on them. They didn't look great against Colorado state, but a little bit of sicknesses maybe went around or maybe I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic than what I saw in that game. I'm also just trying to get again, an edge on the market to begin the season with some of these futures. So Creighton right. 40 to one for me was one of them. Maryland, a team that I was probably way off and wrong on to begin the year. I got them at 80 to one, but the team that I just bet that I kind of find is a cheaper value or kind of like a cheap Houston is Auburn. I bet them at 80 to one last week. So my third futures bet so far, 60, 70 to one is still available. The 11th rated adjusted defensive efficiency per Kempom allowing 0.79 points per possession in the half court, 0.84 points per possession in transition. I think this is Bruce Pearl's best defense that we've seen, albeit maybe some slight regression that could be coming just because they've allowed a 23.7% three point clip, which is not sustainable by, by any measure, but still an elite on ball defense that generates a lot of pressure and you have guys like Jalen Williams and Chad Baker Mazzara from San Diego State, Katie Johnson, even off the bench, who was in that starting lineup going back to a couple of years ago. And then Janai Broom is really the centerpiece, ranked seventh in Kempom's Player of the Year rankings. An elite defensive big can really clean up down low, an elite rebounder, especially when it comes to creating second chance shots. And also the three-point efficiency is there, unlike recent years, when you add a guy like Denver Jones from FIU and Aiden Holloway, one of their five-star gets at the guard spot who could really space you out. So 
that was a team that I was really intrigued by from the beginning of the season. I kind of wanted to wait to see. I didn't want to bet too many futures if I was off on too many at bigger numbers, but I took an Auburn future at 80 to one. So any quick thoughts, at least in terms of what you have them power rated? Yeah, no, I like I like that thought. I mean, I had them rated, I think, 11th in my numbers, uh, maybe even 10th. Um, I, I think there's a lot of upside betting these Bruce Pearl teams, and, and they tend to, you know, get better as the season goes on usually. So I, I like that bet. In the spirit of you mentioning mentioning a bet, I'm going to give you a bet that I made and a team that I want to hear your thoughts on because I only bet this team because they're sitting at like sixth in my numbers. And I'm just like, what are they doing here? I have to bet this team at 150 to one. So BYU had 150 to one the other day. And then I, I talked to my, my bookmaking buddy. He told me he had him 500 to one a couple of weeks ago. He was offering him that. But they're they're sitting like right in the top ten of my numbers solidly, and and they're blowing teams out. Granted, nobody with a pulse. But um, do you have any thoughts on BYU? Because I, I they seem to be playing really well. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that could space you out with Robinson and Waterman, and like you said, I think they were picked around thirteenth to finish <laughs> at that ranking in the Big Twelve preseason poll. So they definitely surprised me. But you look at a team, and I know they're not in the Mountain West anymore at least BYU concerning them. But you think about a San Diego state that made a deep run Mm -hmm. that people weren't as high on. So listen, BYU ranked 10th in Kempom. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying this is an elite defense, like what we saw with the Aztecs. Cause those are the kind of teams that I right, And those are the kind of teams that I lean on like an Auburn that maybe can get better offensively. Cause I'm not saying Mm -hmm. they're an elite team or an above average team offensively, but they have top 10 upside on the other ends of the floor. But if BYU can sustain this top 30, I know they're top 20 now. I don't know if I necessarily see that keeping up, but if they can outperform expectation and finish top 30 on both sides of the ball. You said a word there, upside. And I think that's in the first month of the season. You know, we're, we're kind of nearing the end here. But, you know, that to me is, is the word you have to think of when you're making early season bets. Like, yeah. there's so much upside in these bets. And I learned long ago that if you sit there and you, and you have a team that you usually don't like, or you don't like some of this team and they're playing to a number, you know, it's better off just to bet the team at the high odds or at the good price. You're going to be in a good position more times than not. And I'm not like, I'm not advocating betting every single team, but <laughs> when you have a team staring you in the face like this, see, I, I remember I learned this lesson with, I probably told the story a hundred times, but I learned this lesson with Louisville one year and it's probably 10, 15 years ago where they started out the season super hot and they just kept winning and their rating was so high. And I just kept staring 41 in the face and like, nope, 31, nope. And like by the end of the year, they were a one seed. And I think their odds were like, you know, eight to one or something like that. And I'm like, or seven to one. I'm like, I should have bet it. And like, I, I just learned like when you see the numbers and, and it looks like they're playing to a number, like sometimes you'd be wrong, but you know, in the end, you're going to have more good bets than bad when you, when you bet the teams that show promise, you know, or outperform kind of what the market thought in the first month, you know, the ones that actually have a shot to win. I'm not talking, you know, betting, betting uh, cop and state. Cause they started three and oh, but yeah, no, I got you, man. No, great advice. And I'm definitely with you on kind of taking some shots for teams that you're right. higher on in the market, like I was alluding to. So really fun podcast, man. Matt Metcalf, you can follow him at Double M Pact, former sportsbook director, still doing some consulting with Circa and along with some other books. Going to the gym probably more often than he has in the last five <laughs> years, or am I incorrect with that thought? <laughs> No, I, I was trying to get in the gym more, but yes, now I'm going more often. Now I can now I can sit there and take my time and go to the sauna after relax, eat some eat, eat a nice leisurely lunch. So no, it's been good. 
I'm jealous, man. During college basketball <laughs> season, it feels like I'm just in the room for the entire day. And then when I look outside, well, that's, probably, like, that's probably why you win more money than I do betting. So yeah, it's, it's worth your time. Hey, you know, everybody goes through ups and downs. I went through my downs last year, betting <laughs> game by game college, especially with the transfer portal, man. It's been difficult to gauge non-conference college basketball, but again, just kind of going back to your point about BYU, when you see a number like that and you're higher on a team than the market, especially like you said, you have BYU, I think power rated in your top 10. So why not take a shot on a, in a marketplace that kind of is all over the place because of the transfer portal, albeit teams like Kansas and getting elite bigs that already are baked into the market so much. Like if Duke got an elite transfer, you're not going to get any value on them. Kentucky similarly in years past, but BYU I'm with you on taking a shot. Maybe you'll take my advice on Auburn. Maybe you won't, but (laughs) appreciate you coming on the pod, man. Really fun talking college hoops. Thanks Eli. Good to be here. For any of our listeners that haven't subscribed yet, leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Another edition of Outside Shots will be back in a couple of weeks, more frequently in conference play. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Lions Podcast. <laughs>